podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, soon to be 14, then 12, or it could just be 12, because who the hell actually knows when Oklahoma and Texas are going to be leaving for the SEC. Could be 2023, it's probably not. Could be 2024, maybe. Could be 2025. Everyone's sticking with the party line, because that's what the lawyers say you have to do. They'll be here until 2025. Anyways, we're not talking about that today. Technically, I'm still on paternity leave, I guess. Had a fantastic interview coming up um, that I prepared just for paternity leave, just to to throw out there because I was going to be like, nope, I'm going to be too busy messing with baby. Uh, but this weekend was too big. There's too much to talk about. We've got to talk about regionals coming up this weekend. Um, that interview coming up with Brian Clinton. If you don't know him, he's the site manager and the editor for Heartland College Sports. He is joining us. We are not going to grade head coaching hires. Everybody grades head coaching hires. There's only a couple, there's three in the Big 12 this year. It's not enough to, to put a whole episode around. We are going to grade the coordinator hires. So we're going to talk about all of the offensive and defensive coordinators that were hired in the Big 12 this offseason and give them all grades. So you're going to stick around for that. It's a really good interview. But we've got softball to talk about. We have softball to talk about. We know which Big 12 teams headed to regionals. We know who's hosting. We know who's not. And we've got to talk just, just briefly before we get to that. We've got to talk about the Big 12 softball tournament. That means Melina, my good friend, joining us as she always does to talk softball. Melina, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back. Congratulations on the new arrival of your daughter. You only need six more to complete a softball team. I think we're just going to find some other families in the area and pair up with them because I am done. Um <laughs> But I've got a, I mean, I've got, I've got an ace pitcher, an ace hitter, and an ace catcher. I think I've got the the, the pieces that will eventually bring scholarships uh, to our house that have my children's, my daughter's college paid for. Just kidding. Um, let's start with the Big Twelve tournament. Yeah, I know I'm being a little biased, but the Oklahoma State Cowgirls winning their first Big Twelve softball title. They did not have a conference title. Uh, since 1995, not 1950, sorry, 1995, Oklahoma State upsetting Oklahoma, 
four to three in extra innings in a an incredible game to watch, except for that one part of the game that you couldn't watch because ESPN or somebody was having technical difficulties. I think it had to do with the power outage there at the uh, at USA Stadium. I believe that's what it was. Um, I watched part of it on an Instagram sto- uh, live that one of the uh, the color commentators was providing for us while the uh, signal was down. Shout out. Uh, oh my gosh, now I just forgot. Hold on. I'm going to get Courtney Lyle. Thank you. ESPN play-by-play uh, had a live broadcast on her Instagram account, so we put that up until the power came back on, and we were able to watch the rest of the game, and, and, and I was able to watch Oklahoma State uh, win that title. Uh, Melina, do you have any takeaways from, from, from that tournament this past weekend? Yeah, that was a big momentum builder for Oklahoma State. You know, in that game three when they played in Norman, you could sense that they were getting close. The pitching was there, a couple of defensive miscues, but they were scoring runs. Um, almost had Oklahoma beat until Kelly Maxwell had a couple hit by hit hit batters and she walked a couple of people and then obviously gave up that, you know, massive bomb to to Jocelyn Allo. But you could tell that Oklahoma State was getting really close and they've been playing really well as of late. Morgan Day has been phenomenal for them. She showed up against Texas, completely shut them out, and then came in against Oklahoma. In my opinion, I thought it was a little bit too early. Um, I thought Maxwell was doing an okay job, but you know, they had the confidence in her, they brought her in and she did a phenomenal job to shut the door for Oklahoma State, a well deserved win. Played a full game against Texas on Friday. Played five innings against Oklahoma on Saturday. Gave up two runs, no walks. I'll say this. We talk about all of the transfers that um, Coach Gajewski's brought into Oklahoma State. Obviously, Miranda Ellish, Sam Shaw. I think the most underrated one ever is going to be Morgan Day. For what she has done down the stretch here at the end of the season, beating Texas twice, going one-on-one against Oklahoma, and losing a game to Florida State on the road two to one. I mean, she has been incredible with with Ellish out with the bicep injury. I mean, it it, it really OSU has never had a, a better number three, and she pitching like a number two, if not a number one, and she's been phenomenal for them. Yeah, she's been really phenomenal. The big the big key you talk about is a walks, zero walks, and that is phenomenal. We know how much walks hurt you and how much shooting yourself in the foot is just not good. Most of the time when you walk that batter, I think something crazy, like 60% of them come around to score. So the zero walks against teams like Texas, who can hit very well in Oklahoma, we obviously know that they hit very well. Not having any walks is just phenomenal, and, and she did herself a lot of favors by, by doing that, not allowing any walks. Yeah, only run against Oklahoma on on Saturday was a, a single home run to Allo, and no one's going to hold that against anybody, <laughs> uh, anywhere. Um, so, Selection Sunday show came on. Three Big Twelve teams playing in the NCAA tournament, uh, playing in regionals, hoping to make their way to Oklahoma City for the Women's College World Series. Uh, Oklahoma, no surprise, with the number one overall seed. Uh, at Norman, they will be playing host to Texas A&M, Minnesota, and Prairie View A&M. Oklahoma State, who we kind of said we thought could should and would earn a top eight seed after the win over Oklahoma, earning two extra top 25 RPI victories over Texas and Oklahoma this past weekend, gets the seven seed. They'll be hosting Nebraska, North Texas, and Fordham. So it's not it's not an easy one. Texas, um, they are heading to 13 seed Washington. They will be the two seed there in Seattle uh, at Washington, along with Lehigh and Weber State. I know you are upset, Melina, and we we thought that Texas might have a shot to host a regional. For them to be sent as the two-seed all the way to Seattle almost tells me they weren't as close as we even thought they were because you look at most of the two-seeds, there's some sent in some pretty pretty distinct distances, but some have been pretty close. I mean, 
you got Nebraska going to Oklahoma State, uh, Clemson hosting Auburn, Missouri with Illinois, uh, but then you see Texas going all the way to Seattle. I mean, what's just your your kind of reaction on, on Texas and where they were seated and where they were set? You know, it made me a little bit upset, but then looking back on it, you know, we thought that Texas possibly could have hosted a regional. Then that they got blown out by Baylor, which did not do them any favors. Then they get to the Big 12 tournament. I mean, they blow out Texas Tag, but, you know, that's not saying much with the turmoil that's going on around there. And then just completely fall apart against Oklahoma State. Um, you know, Mike White had himself a little bit of a meltdown. Supposedly the committee said that his meltdown had nothing to do with the decision of where they were seated, um, but they did not do themselves any favor throughout the season not doing well against teams in the top 50 in the RPI, you know, had a horrible time at Clearwater, you know, went 0-5, and then they went in that Texas Classic, faced a team like Arizona State, lost that game too, and they just didn't do themselves any favors, losing to Alabama twice, um, then they had their Texas tournament, you know, faced some mediocre teams, didn't, didn't do too well, got some wins, but, you know, um, then they went on a nice little winning streak, beat the Raging Cajuns, beat uh, swept LSU, but, you know, that, that just wasn't enough. You got to play better against top 50 teams, and they just didn't do that. Yeah, look, Texas was had a higher RPI than UCF, who's hosting. Washington, obviously, who's hosting. And Missouri, who is hosting as well. But the one thing that, that you and I talked about before we started recording is there's not a single team who is hosting a regional this year that had a sub-500 record against the top 50 RPI opponents. Texas did. Texas was 11, 15, and 1 against top 50 RPI opponents, 5 and 13 against top 25 RPI opponents. Now, there's some other teams that had, top, had losing records against top 25, but not against top 50. Not against top 50. Even UCF, who was the 16 seed, they were 13 and 10. Uh, Missouri, who's hosting, obviously, 20 and 16. And Washington was 18 and 12. So, no top 16 team, no host, no host had a sub 50. Uh, so it was sub 500 against top 50 RPI teams. Um, we are going to talk UCF. I do want to bring up, they are the number 16 overall seed, future Big 12 member who we're very excited about. Uh, this is their first time over hosting a regional. I believe they said this is the first uh, G5 host since, oh my gosh, was it 2016? I believe it was, which would have been the last time. Jam- when- you? I think it was James. Yeah, I think it was 2016 when James Madison hosted. Uh, they have in Orlando, Michigan, Villanova, and South Dakota State joining them there. We are going to talk about their bracket as well as Oklahoma's Oklahoma State's and the bracket that Texas is in. So what I want to do is we're going to break down these four brackets. Now, you and I, real quick, make some picks for who we think win these regionals. Uh, and then we're going to go ahead and make our predictions. We're going to we're going to make our, our eight for OKC, the eight teams that we think are going to end up in Oklahoma City in a couple of weeks for the Women's College World Series. Obviously, we'll, we'll talk through uh, next week and preview Super Regionals, assuming some Big 12 teams advance, which I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that they will. Um, and then, of course, we'll talk about uh, Oklahoma City and the Women's College World Series, depending upon how many or if uh, Big 12 teams make it there. And I feel pretty confident that they will as well. So, Melina, let's just let's just pull the band-aid off for you. Let's get it out of the way. Let's go ahead and head to Seattle. Talk about the Washington Regional with Texas, Lehigh, and Weber State. Obviously, Texas is going to have to go on the road, pull off a couple of upsets to get out of here and head back to the Super Regionals. Uh, how how confident, really? And I, I'm, I'm going to kind of ask you to set aside your 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 fandom just a little bit. But realistically, what shot do you give Texas here to get out of Seattle and, and head to Super Regional? Um, I'll give them about an eight out of a 10. That's how I rated. I mean, they're going to go up there to Seattle. Washington's going to have some home cooking. They're going to face Gabby playing one of the more phenomenal pitchers that we've seen um, in the last couple of years, all American. She's just a great pitcher, but Texas strength has been their hitting, you know, they're up there in doubles, you know, they hit for, they hit for average, not so much for power. 
Um, but, you know, their hitting all has to come together. Sometimes they're very hot and cold. Um, but I believe, you know, Jan with Janae Jefferson's leadership, Mary Couples' leadership, Haley Dulcini has been throwing the ball fairly well. Um, I give them a, a decent a decent chance to win. Um, I think if you look at the reaction from when they were uh, told that they were headed to the Seattle Regional, I think they were all surprised. I think they all expected to host every player, every coach in that in that building expected to have a top 16 seed. So I think they're going to play with the chip on their shoulder and they're going to go in there and give Washington everything they've got. Yeah, Uh Texas is, is used to making it to Super Regionals. They did last year, of course, uh, losing to, to Oklahoma State. They did in 2019. So, I mean, they get to do a little bit different this year. They don't get to host. But I, I'm not sure I feel quite as confident as you. Look, he, the history tells us. And I went back and looked all the way to 2010. Uh, so to 2021 through 2010. Um, if you're going to pick, do a bracket, which you can't at D1 softball, by the way. I'm going to fill one out. I'm very excited about it. If you're going to fill out a bracket, for the women's tournament, pick a couple of, of unseeded teams to pull off the upset and make it to Supers. Okay. 2018 and 2017, all 16 seeded teams advanced to Super Regionals. Okay. Outside of that, you get two or three. Three last year. Uh, two in 2016, 2015, 2014, three in 2013, 2011, 2010. Four in 2012, it's the only year we had that many. I, w- I would say cautiously, Pick two. And if I had to pick two, looking through everything and saying, okay, I, I've got to pick two spots where I don't trust the host's team to pull this off, I, I would put Texas in in that group um, among teams I would pick to pull it off. I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I can't decide if there's a couple of other unseeded teams I like better or just that there are some seeded teams that I like less. And there are. <laughs> Missouri. Um but I do feel pretty good. Plus, the potential of a Texas Arkansas Super Regional in Fayetteville would be uh, would be awesome. I I, I fear Washington's going to come out of this. Um, I think these are two teams in Washington and Texas who are pretty similar. This being in Seattle, I think I'm going to have to give Washington the edge, a slight edge. I do think Texas is the runner up in this regional. I, I do think they could actually take a game from Washington and extend this one extra game. Um, but I, I think I'm going to have to take Washington to come out of this one um, and head to Supers against Arkansas, who would be the, the next opponent. Because, yeah, I'm, even with, with Oregon and Wichita State, which are some pretty talented opponents for Arkansas, and Arkansas, uh, who is a team who has never made it to the to Oklahoma City. I did not know this. Apparently Arkansas never made there. I, I think Washington is going to come out of the Seattle regional. Uh, let's move over to Orlando. Where UCF, as I said, is hosting Michigan, uh, South Dakota State, and Villanova. Melina, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, congratulations to UCF. I think they definitely deserved it, beating you know South Florida and Houston in that um, in that conference tournament. Um, I was real happy for them. They've been a great team all year. I said this in last week's podcast that they have wins against Georgia, Texas, Texas Tech, Ole Miss, Iowa State, Virginia Tech, South Carolina. They have a lot of quality wins against Big Twelve teams, SEC teams. And obviously with their phenomenal pitching with Gianna Mancha, you know, the star of their lineup, Jada Cody, this was a definitely deserved um, regional spot for them. Yeah, look, uh, we had head coach Cindy Ball Malone on the podcast a couple weeks ago. We talked about this being a goal for them, hosting a regional. And they got the 16 seed, but still they're hosting a regional. And that's incredible for a program that is very much on the rise, that she is continuing to grow there. Um I was a little worried. I was a little worried, honestly, because uh, I thought they would get a Wichita State matchup in the in the American Conference or American Athletic Conference final. Uh, USF pulled off the upset there, um, so UCF. But and with doing so, now I know UCF pretty much s- smacked South Florida around, 
They did not have their star pitcher in that game. Not sure if she will be able to to compete, though South Florida did make it uh, to a regional. They'll be the three seed in Tallahassee against Florida State. Um, man, I think Michigan is pretty good. There's no slouch of a team. They're number 20 in the RPI. Um, so that is a that is a difficult two seed to have in your regional. And and look, man, I, I think UCF pulls this out. I do. I feel fairly confident that this is the first step of a program that is continuing to emerge. I feel really bad because they're going to have to f- probably face Oklahoma, the number one overall seed in Super Regionals. I say probably. I mean, let's be honest. Um, but, hey, potential future Big 12 matchup between UCF and Oklahoma. I, I feel comfortable saying UCF is one of the teams I am picking to advance to Super Regionals. I think Michigan might give them some trouble. Uh, South Dakota State, Villanova, they're, those are nice teams. I think this is UCF or Michigan. I'm going to pick UCF to advance uh, and Michigan to finish the runner-up. Yeah, I like did, you, did you give me a pick here? No, I, I'll take UCF, though. In postseason, pitching pitching wins you a lot of games, and, and you, um, UCF has the better pitching, and, and so I'm going to go with them. Okay, feel good there. All right, uh, we head next to Stillwater, Oklahoma State, who got the seven seed. Uh, biggest reason this is good for Oklahoma State. <clears throat> uh if Oklahoma State makes it to Oklahoma City, they will get to be on the opposite side of the bracket from Oklahoma and not have to be the same side like they were last year, which I think for OSU is something that they would they would very much like. Uh, they are the seven seed, as I mentioned. They have Nebraska, North Texas, and Fordham. This is a sneaky, tricky, to me, bracket. Nebraska's number 28 in the RPI. They're just three and one against top twenty-five RPI teams. They've only played four. Uh, they are twelve and seven against top fifty. But Nebraska just went and won the Big Ten tournament. Now we talk about basketball like that doesn't always carry over. And the way that you know Maxwell and and Morgan Day, especially if Ellis can't go at, on the mound, and I don't feel confident or comfortable saying she's going to be able to. Um, that's a that's a sneaky tough two seed for the number seven overall seed. Then you throw in a North Texas team that we have talked about on the show. We've talked about potential uh, people that we would like to see as head coaching candidates for Texas Tech. North Texas is head coach, one of the ones we brought up. Now, look, they're 0-3 against top 25, 4-5 against top 50. haven't played a lot of, of, of top-ranked teams, but I do think it is a sneaky, good, well-coached North Texas team. I do think this is a tricky regional for Oklahoma State. That said... I'm not worried about OSU at this point. With Maxwell, with Day, the way Day has been pitching, and I know OSU's uh, hitting has has dipped back down. It was tough at the start of the season. It really found itself in March. It seems to have dipped a little bit. Um, but I feel pretty comfortable in Oklahoma State, even if they're in some close games pulling those out, in a sneaky, tough uh, Stillwater Regional. Yeah, I'm going to roll with Oklahoma State here as well. They're peaking at the right time. I mean, we talked about Morgan Day. We've talked about Kelly Maxwell all year, how she's been phenomenal. We'll see Miranda Elish can go. But I think their offense is okay over over the Big 12 tournament. I thought that, that they did. You know, well, I mean, they, they won the Big 12 <laughs> tournament championship. So they're, they're doing something right. They're, they're clicking all the right buttons right now. But I think you're right. It's going to be a little bit of a sneaky regional. A couple of great, really great head coaches. Um, along with Coach Gajewski, you got Ronnie Ravel from Nebraska, who's won over a thousand years in her career. And I mean, we just talked about Rodney DeLong not too long ago. He's a phenomenal coach himself at North Texas. So there's going to be a lot, a lot of good coaching going on in this region. It's going to be a really good one. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, these are all going to be fantastic to watch. Okay. Um, we saved the Norman Regional for last. 
not a best for last situation. Oklahoma number one overall, Steve. I mean, obviously they've they've lost their second game of the season against Oklahoma State. Um, I know there's look, there's a really interesting question by D1 softball, just like, is OU kind of okay? Are they vulnerable right now? And similar to what I said about Oklahoma State, like, not here. Definitely not here. Maybe in Oklahoma City, but not here. Uh, Texas A&M is the two seed. Minnesota, the three. Prairie View, A&M, the four. Um, uh, OU is winning their regional. I just, there's, there's, even if there are some issues, if ball is still not back yet, uh, I know Troutwine and, and may have been not quite at their peak. I am not worried in the regional here. Oklahoma is winning this. Yeah, I'm not worried at all. I think Oklahoma appreciated games like Texas and Oklahoma state where they can face some pressure and see how they respond. So I think that was good for them losing that game. Um, they need, they need to learn that, you know, they're going to be in some, in some pressure situations and the further they go, the harder it's going to get tough break for, for A&M um, and a couple wins against Alabama. I actually got a win against, against Arkansas. So, but um, I see Oklahoma winning this regional fairly easily and taking on a talented UCF team. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's time. Uh, we looked at the, the brackets for the big 12 teams. We've seen some of the matchups. It's time to pick our eight for OKC uh, and predict which eight teams you and I believe are going to be in Oklahoma City at the Women's College World Series. Lena, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm going to make you go first. Who are the eight teams you think are going to make it to OKC? Well, Oklahoma. Is that an easy one? (laughs) Ooh, bold take, bold take. Can we start there? Um, I'm gonna roll with Oklahoma. I, th- I think they're they're gonna beat Central Florida. Uh, that that Northwestern one is real tricky for me because that bracket, you know, McNeese is, is a de- has a decently talented team every year. They got Notre Dame, who may surprise you. And LSU. I mean, they're an SEC team. They should be a top five team every year, um, with the kind of program they have, the kind of facilities they have. So I go back and forth on that. Um, so I'm not sure if Northwestern will, will, will make it out of there, but I got I got to roll with Oklahoma, UCLA. Um, Arkansas, Oklahoma State. Oh man, this is tough. Florida State. What am I? It's Virginia Tech. Alabama. Alabama. And oh my God. Uh, uh. All right. So based off that, based off that, let's see. It's Oklahoma there. I'm gonna help you out here. All right. Um, Basically, you for your last one, you got to decide who comes out between the Evanston and Tempe regional. I struggled with that one. I just I'm struggling with that because Northwestern are they battle tested enough? I mean, LSU is obviously battle tested with all the the SEC opponents and all of that. So I, I go back and forth. But then again, I don't trust LSU. And Northwestern has been a phenomenal team. I talked about them earlier in the year how I think they're going to be a sleeper. And uh, so um, and Arizona State. I mean. To me, the Pac-12 is not is not the strongest conference out there, so I struggle with that. With you know, with the Pac-12, you know, is Northwestern battle tested? Um, but I think I think out of that one, I think I'm actually going to roll with Arizona State. Okay, okay. Uh, I don't think it's a bad pick at all. Okay, so it's my turn. Um, I also will take Oklahoma. Bold take, <laughs> I know. Um, UCLA. I. Let's just there's just teams where if they don't make it, it's going to be shocking. I mean, UCLA has been phenomenal all season. Uh, so too has Florida State. Okay, I know, we're going to have a lot of real similar stuff here. I, I get the feeling. 
let's see. I'm going to take uh, Virginia Tech as well. Uh-huh. Um, and Arkansas has been so good. They've never been before. Uh, they get to... I, I, here's the other thing I will tell you. Now, I did my research about my, you know, what seeded teams. Top eight. Top eight seeded teams. How often... Uh, how common is it? How many make it? Last year, only four of the top eight made it. That's happened two other times. It happened in 2017. Happened in 2010. On a, on on average, though, it's about six. About six of the eight teams will make. It. We've seen all eight make it in 2018 and in 2015. We saw seven in 2019. But I think five is about the average number who make it. So if I'm looking at at this bracket, I'm going to say, okay, I've already got the one seed. I've got the five seed. I've got the two seed. I'm going to take the three. I'm taking Oklahoma State. That's the seven. Uh, Arkansas, that's the four. Like I'm getting to a point where, okay, I need to pick a couple of, of other teams to get here. All right. So I'm not supposed to pick Alabama. I don't love Tennessee. I don't. But if I got to pick a couple of teams other than the top eight, I've got, I got to pick two to fit what normally happens, I got to pick two non-top eights to get there. So I'm going to take Northwestern over Arizona State. Um, I don't. I don't. I've seen a lot of people who think Arizona State was seated too low. They should have been higher at D1 softball's projections. I, I don't. I, and I don't pay a, ton, a lot of attention to Arizona State, but from my research and digging, I was just like, okay, I they're tenth in the RPI. Cool. I, the record's good. Um, the record in the top 50 is really good. I just, I'm not as sold on them. And I think Northwestern has played in some really tough games. We saw them at Clearwater. I'll, I'll take Northwestern. I need two. And that leaves me with just the Tennessee, the Knoxville Regional versus the Tuscaloosa Regional. Because I don't see, like, UCLA, maybe Duke or Georgia. No. Um, I think Arkansas, Florida State, there's no way. I hate, I don't think Missouri even wins their own regional. I'll pick OSU over Clemson, even though Clemson is playing super well, because I don't even know if Clemson's going to come out of there. So I think Louisiana could. How how crazy can I? I'm going to I'm going to get crazy here. How how wild would it be if I actually picked Ohio State to make it to Oklahoma City, win the Knoxville Regional, and then go to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama? I think you'd be out of your mind, honestly. If I'm being completely honest, I think you'd be out of your right. mind. Actually, I know you and I kind of talked about florida being at 14 and uh we necessarily we necessarily didn't think that they may be deserved to be at 14 um but based off their history and tim walton is just a great coach that virginia tech florida super regional is going to be one to keep your eye on i think um florida has good players and they have good pitching you know they got riley trilicek elizabeth hightower um, so they have good pitching, and I always preach that pitching wins. Pitching will carry you very far. Um, and Virginia Tech's an outstanding pitcher, and Keely Rochard herself. But I, I do think that, as much as I kind of hated on Florida for getting that 14 seed, I think that Florida Virginia Tech Super Regional is going to be a very spicy one to watch your eye on. All right, you've convinced me. I'm taking Alabama because I don't like Tennessee or anyone in that regional. Um, I'm going to flip. I'm taking I'm taking Florida over Virginia Tech. Yeah, you've got. I got it. I got it. Like. We, we look at the team and say, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. And and history tells us, just like in March Madness, this is why I love postseason baseball and postseason softball because there is a lot of chaos too. 
that history shows us only twice since 2010 have all eight top seed top eight seeds made it. Only twice since 2010 have all 16 seeded teams made it to supers. 2018 is like the most outlier. All 16 made it to supers. Top eight all made it to Oklahoma City. It's just a rare thing to happen. So history tells me there's going to be some upsets. I like the idea of Florida with the experience they have, the coaching they have. I hate to give them the credit for playing in the SEC, but they do play in the SEC, so it's not like they're not going to be experienced in dealing with something um, like a Virginia Tech and the quality they have. I cannot take Alabama over. I'm like Alabama, I'm, no, I'm taking Alabama. I just I think they're too good. And I'll take Northwestern. I, I, I've i seen Northwestern play at least a little bit, so I feel like I know them a little bit better than Arizona State. I don't love either of those options. I'll take Northwestern. So, All right, so to recap, Melina has Oklahoma, UCLA, Arkansas, Oklahoma State, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Bama, and Arizona State. I have Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, UCLA, Florida State, Florida, Arkansas, Northwestern, and Alabama. Very exciting. So we obviously we will follow this all the way through to the end, or at least until the Big 12 is out of it, because then we don't care because we're a Big 12 podcast, even though I love softball. Uh, Melina, you are awesome. Uh, you know, Melina, uh, I don't know how big of a t-shirt fan you are, but for Oklahoma State fans, team just won the Big 12 tournament. They're Big 12 champs. Yes, Oklahoma fans, you can say Oklahoma State is Big 12 champs, just like Oklahoma won the regular season and is Big 12 champs, because I don't know why these OU fans are getting mad about OSU saying, like, we're Big 12 champs. Like, you're your Big 12 tournament champs. And we can say the same thing if you're Big 12 regular season champs, because guess what? The tournament's actually where it's decided you're a champion. The regular season is just kind of a congrats on winning the whole regular season and earning the one seed. We are going to go down that line. Oklahoma State fans, I know you want to celebrate. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's no better way to celebrate than when the Oklahoma State refresh at Home Field Apparel because they have a Pistol Patty shirt straight from a 1970s football um, program. And it's freaking awesome. And you can bet it's sitting right now in my shopping cart. Now, you're asking, Philip, why have you not already bought this Pistol Patty shirt? You have the other one. You're a huge fan of it. You love this new one. And it is freaking awesome like i've seen multiple people who are like i don't even care about oklahoma state this shirt is straight fire it's super cool why am i not buying pistol patty because big news saturday season four starts this saturday arkansas is the first school i live in arkansas my wife is an arkansas fan my in-laws are arkansas fans i do cheer for arkansas i'm gonna have to wait and buy some arkansas gear when it comes out saturday i will also buy my vintage pistol patty shirt as well because i want more and more of the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel i can possibly have so if you are like me and love Oklahoma State, or just like cool t-shirts and cool vintage logos. Maybe you like Arkansas. Maybe you're a fan of one of the schools who's coming up in Big New Saturday Season 4. Yes, I know who they are. Yes, I know the schedule and the order. No, I cannot say it. All I'll say is, if you are a Power 5 school who's not on home field apparel, the odds are in your favor. That's all I'll say. Remember this. Promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, gets you 15% off your first order that is our promo code. Every show in the 1012 network has their own promo code. So if you are a fan of another show, maybe you're a fan as an Oklahoma State fan, uh, feels like 45, feels 12, gets you 15% off your first order. Maybe you're a fan of, of our West Virginia show, Raspy Voice Kids, Raspy 12, 15% off your first order. Whichever show you're a fan of, use the promo code. It's not gonna hurt my feelings. I'm fine with it. I want all of us to thrive as one big loving community. Melina, you know Texas is on here. And they've got some incredible Texas stuff. So for Texas fans, Network 12, 15% off your first order. Okay. The Go Horns Go shirt, fantastic. The Bevo shirt, awesome. Texas Fight hoodie, 
I know you need a hoodie right now. They got a t-shirt version of it too. Uh, the Texas Fight hoodie, the t-shirt, and the vintage Texas Longhorn t-shirt, as well as the Go Horns Go t-shirt, are going to be locked into the vault soon. Retired. So if you want one of them, you need to go get it before it's gone. Promo code NETWORK12, 15% off your first order. Be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel ever this summer. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pit, joined by my brother, Jeremy J.N. Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, anyplace. Get at your boys. So as I mentioned in the intro, you know, everyone does head coaching rankings. We could sit here and do that. I don't love doing it. I know it's good for show numbers, and I should do it, and I'm a terrible podcaster, but I want to have a more interesting conversation than just what's going to obviously generate clicks. I know I'm an idiot, but we are going to rank something because to me, what what really unites a lot of these new hires was we talked about, you know, Joey McGuire at Texas Tech and and Sunday uh, and Dykes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At TCU. Yeah. I just, uh, the sunny thing throws me off left, right, sideways. Um, <laughs> was the staffs that they were going to bring with them. Who were they going to bring together? Who were they going to bring with them? Because that was going to determine whether or not they truly had success, which led me to the decision. I want to grade the coordinator hires in the Big 12 this offseason. And there's multiple. Right. Kansas State with a new OC, Oklahoma with new OC, and DC is a new head coach. TCU and Texas Tech with new OCs and DCs. Oklahoma mm-hmm. State with a new defensive coordinator, and West Virginia with a new OC. So we're going to grade all of these. When I say we, not just me, that's no fun. Uh, joining me today for his first time here on the show, I'm very excited to have him. Brian Clinton, site manager for Heartland College Sports, joining us today, and uh, one of the hosts of the Hecklers and Hot Takes podcast. Brian, welcome to the 1012, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I've been looking for an opportunity to get you on here, and this seemed like a good time to bring somebody else who pays attention to the Big 12 to come on, and let's let's talk about some of these guys that are now going to be calling players on both sides of the ball uh, in the Big 12. That sounds good. All right. Uh, I know you've got one that's kind of controversial. Um, I'll, I'll start with mine that I'm not sure is controversial, but um, no, we're just going to go in, in <clears throat> alphabetical order because that's the way I put my list together, okay. and I'm lazy like that. Okay. <laughs> um, so we'll start with Kansas State. New offensive coordinator, promoting Colin Klein, internal promotion, former quarterback coach, former quarterback, now been the OC, was uh, did have the co-OC title back in 2018. Uh, he is now taking the job, got kind of a trial opportunity in the bowl game. They looked pretty good in the bowl game. I am giving this hire a C, and here's why. Uh, first time OC, I know he was a co-OC title back in 2018 under the previous regime. I don't have enough to go on, and one game is not enough. We liked what we saw in the Texas Bowl victory over LSU, but it's hard to know how much to take away from that game. It's a bowl game, and that was an LSU team that was very depleted. But I do think what we take away from it is Kansas State, and they've talked about this throughout the offseason. I think we've kind of taken away more of these notes from the spring, is they're going to run a faster-paced offense than what we've seen. I think that's kind of what the fans have been asking for, just something a little bit different. And I'm updating kind of the offense a little bit, you know? Mm. Uh, and because, look, last three years, offense under the uh, the Fremo Efficiency Index ratings, 2019, 61st in scoring, 2020, 81st in scoring, 2021, 76th in scoring. It's a team that needs to put up more points. 
move the offense a little bit more. Right. I'm all for updating. But one of the things that made Kansas State such a pain in the ass was the fact that they were different from the rest of the Big 12. That while everyone went left, they continued to kind of go right. And I think it is something that made Kansas State as difficult to play as they were. Now, again, I do think the offense needed a little bit of a boost. Obviously, it needed to put up more points in this Big 12 unless you're going to have a an amazing defense. I think an identity is fine. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. But uh, and I'm... I hope they don't try and just do too much of what the rest of the Big 12 does because I don't think that's going to benefit Kansas State in the way it does some other teams. If they can keep this offense improving, if it can look like it did more in the Texas Bowl but still kind of keep some uniqueness that we're used to in Kansas State, then I will definitely change this grade at the end of the season. But coming in, first-time OC, hasn't been a play caller before, Doing something new at a school where doing something new has not worked. We've pretty much stuck with what's always worked, and that's the formula that has succeeded at Kansas State. I'm just going to give it a C grade, which is really just a like, uh, not a not in a, not a good grade, not a bad grade, just kind of a wait and see. Right. Well, originally I had uh, my my first thought was was a B. Um, I liked the internal hire. I liked them bringing Colin Klein up to offensive coordinator. It's, you know, it's something that's going to be popular with the fan base, something that's going to be popular with, uh, you know, the, the boosters and things like that. But I backed off a bit because I, I realized, like you said, we have one game to go off of and it's really tough to judge a coordinator, let alone players or anything like that with one game. So I, I pulled back to a C plus. Um, I give it the plus because I think I, I expect that that Klein's going to implement the same style of offense that he ran for Snyder in 2011 and 2012, something similar. Um, there, there should be some quarterback run scheme in there. Uh, and I think that uh, that's something that Kleinman can, can work with, especially whenever you have a guy in 2022 like Adrian Martinez. I think Adrian Martinez has an opportunity to uh, to, to really be dangerous especially when you couple him with American All-American uh, Deuce Vaughn in the backfield. But he was misused at, um, at Nebraska, and I think if Colin Klein can find a way to use him properly in Manhattan, it should help. Um, and one of the things that I, that I really want to know is, moving forward, are the Wildcats going to need a true dual-threat quarterback to maximize Klein's potential as a play caller? Because you know if, if it works out great with Adrian Martinez this year, Awesome. But, but what do we do when he's gone? What, what is Colin Klein's offense going to look like uh, in, in the future there? So I, I, I've got C plus uh, kind of like you said, um, we'll see how it goes in a couple of years, but, but for now it's kind of a wait and see. Yeah. Uh, the quarterback situation is really interesting. And I, and I, I do, I did like the move this off season. Look, I, I don't, I'm not a Will Howard guy. I'm sorry. I, yeah. I, I feel like we've seen enough from him. Look, mm-hmm. you can you can be the backup and come in, and and it's only it's only so fair to judge how you perform. He's played enough times that I've seen enough from him to say I'm good. So yeah. I think the move to bring in Martinez makes a lot of sense. It does yep. seem to fit maybe what Conklin wants to do as OC, um, and as long as he stays healthy, I do think it's it, look. We just put out. Well, no, I say we did. Today I put them out. It's probably been a week or so. I don't know. 
Again, this episode's <laughs> going up while I'm on maternity leave. But I have Kansas State in the top four in the post-spring rankings. Like, I I have a lot of expectation for Kansas yeah. State this season. I think they're the, my, like, quote-unquote dark horse of the Big 12 teams. Yeah. Outside of the teams we expect to compete for the Big 12 title. So, I think Martinez and Klein make a lot of sense. And if Klein does a good job and earns an A-B rating this year, or grade, I think Kansas State can have a lot of success. I think they bring a lot back that, that makes them... Got to make you feel good as a Kansas State fan. Right. Uh, okay, so let's move on down to Oklahoma. Obviously, new head coach there. And, and look, if we want, if we have time at the end here, we can we can throw some grades at head coaches. I hate doing that. I think it's too hard to do. Because it is. So much goes into a head coach having success, besides mm-hmm. just from like how good they are as a coach or how well they recruit. It, how do well do you put the staff together? What is the what's the organization inside the the athletic department top down? Like so many things play into whether or not a coach. And, and now sometimes we can tell they're they're not going to work out, and they don't. And sometimes we can say they will, and they do. But I've seen too many surefire, that guy's going to be awesome. <laughs> Nebraska, uh, Tom Herman at Texas, uh, what's been going on at Louisville, like that that don't work out. And I'm just, I, I, it's too hard to do it. I know we're supposed to, but we don't. But Oklahoma, okay, let's talk about the Sooners. Uh, Brett Venables put his staff together. Let's start on the offense again. Uh, hiring Jeff Levy away from Ole Miss. I gave this a B. I know a lot of OU fans want to give it an A grade, and I get it. It's hard not to like the hire. It's a great hire. Getting him away from Ole Miss, he's put up some great offenses. Uh, his UCF offense in 2019 was fifth, ranked fifth in scoring. His two OC or his two offenses at Ole Miss in 2020 were ranked 14th. 2021 was 24th. The team he puts teams that, that put up points. Okay. There's no arguing he has success. And with the the kind of recruiting and the weapons they'll be able to get at Oklahoma, and just be honest, I know the Big 12 defense is really good, but against some of the, the competition in the Big 12 from a player standpoint, aside from what they're doing in the big the SEC West, he should have success. Like, he's having success in the SEC West. He's having success at UCF. He should have success at Oklahoma. But right. why did I give this a B? Um, I'm going to be honest. I have a hard time looking past the connections to old Art Browns. I don't love it. I don't. I can't give something an A grade when the hiring makes me kind of cringy. I don't. I don't love that. The other thing is, a lot of the conversation I've heard, we've heard throughout the season, and then we've heard in the draft prep about Matt Corral is well, Jeff Levy's offense. It's kind of the old Baylor offense, right? It's a lot of similarities. Baylor quarterbacks didn't really succeed in the NFL. That's that they're great in college. The system works in college. It doesn't translate to success as a quarterback in the NFL. Now, success in the college is all that matters here because we're talking about what's going to work for Oklahoma. And if you put up 50 points a game in college, I don't care if you have success in the NFL, that's going to work for you in college. So I do think this is a good hire. Obviously, I think people all universally are calling this a really good hire as far as an OC goes. But I just a couple things about it that I just, if I'm going to nitpick and I, and I feel like I need to, otherwise everyone's going to have, there'll be a bunch of A grades. And I can't right. give A grades across the board. Right. So... <laughs> I have to be at least a little bit pessimistic and say I don't love the Art Browse connection. I do have some issue with the, you know, we've seen what happens with the Baylor system moving off after college. How does that affect recruiting? You can get quarterbacks when you're making them the number one picks every year. If you aren't able mm-hmm. to do that, how does that affect uh, recruiting? But Oklahoma is going to be off to the SEC here in a couple of seasons, so it's probably not going to be a, a Big 12 issue much longer. But for Oklahoma, I think this was a good hire. It makes a lot of sense, but I'm giving it a B grade. I went with an A-. minus. Um... And I'll start kind of where you picked up uh, or t- with the um, the reason for a B. I, I'm giving Joe Castiglione the benefit of the doubt. Just 
him being one of the better athletic directors in America, I just, I know that he went through extensive screening process whenever they brought Levy in. So if he felt safe doing it, then, then I feel safe with, with, with the pick. It, it, it could be, you know, there are, there are things in Oklahoma's past that, that probably weren't handled properly. We can, we can go back to Joe Mixon. We can go back to, you know, thing, things back whenever Bob was in, in charge, but um, I gave it an A minus and, Really, the reason why is I feel like I feel like the Sooners went out and got an offensive mind that really rivals what Lincoln Riley did. Um, Levy's offense is ranked sixth, third, and second in total offense over the last three seasons. Um, I just I, I feel like bringing tempo back to Oklahoma is something that that uh, Lincoln Riley got away from later in his. Uh, later on in his tenure, uh, the further he got away from that 2015-2016 team, the, the slower the things went. Levy runs 80 plays. Levy's offenses go 80 plays deep in one game. They're running almost three plays a minute. So having tempo, uh, it stresses defenses. Defense was fantastic in the Big 12 last season across the board. Um, so I think that this is a good hire for Oklahoma. I think that it's something that could be like you said nitpicked and it's very easy to see where you know he's he's art Bryles son-in-law after all so there's there that's very close that's very very close to the the, the fire there but uh as long as castiglione felt okay with it then then i feel okay with it yeah uh it is what it is uh okay <laughs> moving on defensive coordinator for oklahoma ted roof uh there are journeymen and then there is ted roof who's been the defensive coordinator <laughs> at more stops than I can count. I'm going to go through some of the schools, App State, or Appalachian State, Vanderbilt, Penn State, UCF, Duke, Minnesota, Auburn, multiple stops at Georgia Tech. Uh, I'm, now, look, we all know total defense blah, 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 doesn't matter. It's a dumb number. I'm still going to go through these just for a minute because it was the easiest thing to kind of list together. His last eight stops or stints as a defensive coordinator going back to 2013 at Georgia Tech. To hence defenses, total defense, again, always take total defense and just throw it out the window, but I'm going to run these numbers anyways. Ranked 29th, 52nd, 51st, 39th, 63rd, 45th as the co-DC at NC State in 2018. 21st is the App State DC in 2019. 113th as the Vanderbilt DC in 2020, and he spent last year's analyst at Clemson. I'm giving this a B grade, and here's why. And this, this grade only applies if this is what I think it is and what uh, some OU people I have talked to think it is. This feels like Venables is bringing in an experienced DC to coach linebackers, a position that Ted Roof has plenty of experience coaching, um, really just to take some responsibility off Venables' plate. If that's the case, and this is simply Ted Roof kind of running Venables' defense so Venables can be a bit more CEO than, than Riley was, this is a good hire. If this is... Venables is running the defense, but Ted Roof is handling the defense for Venables so he can do other things until game day, in which time Venables is running the defense. Venables is an amazing defensive coordinator. If Venables is running the defense, I feel good about Oklahoma's defense. And that's why if that is what's happening here and Ted Roof is just kind of running the day-to-day stuff until game day, like I think is probably happening, and coaching the linebackers, which he has a ton of experience doing, then this is a B grade. It's a solid B grade. It's a solid move just to make sure that Venables can do more CEO role than Riley did in his time 
as the OU head coach. That's that's kind of what I think. It's what other people I've talked to think. We have not had that confirmed. Venables hasn't said anything about that. I'm not sure he will, but I'm very. That's one of those questions someone's going to ask at Big Twelve Media Days this summer that I think we're all going to be very interested and excited to hear the answer to. Yeah, this is one. Uh, I, I have the exact same grade. Just be straight across the board on this one. Um, I, I think. You know, he, he may call the defense on Saturdays, but it, it really does feel like this is going to end up being Venable's defense. Uh, you know, you don't you don't you don't spend 30 years coaching defense and then just all of a sudden step away from it. I, I feel like it's hard to be hands off that quickly, even if you are stepping into a role as a head coach for the first time. So um, I do remember whenever the hire was made, one of the things that Venables continued to drive home about it was that Roof was an excellent teacher that he was a really, really good teacher. And so to me, that says he's bringing him in to implement the things that Venables wants in a defense. And, and, and that in and of itself makes this a good hire. Um, Roof is a low ego guy. He always has been. That's something, you know, it's, he's never been a guy to step in front of the camera and rah, rah, that's just not who he is. Um, he can leave that to Venables in this case, it sounds like, cause he's, <laughs> I mean, he's about as tense as they get. So um, if that's exactly what happened at Oklahoma, which it seems that's the case, um, it's a B grade. It's, it, it's good. And I, I think Ted Roof's the right guy. Um, as long as, as long as that's what it is. Now, if, if it comes down to it and if it comes down to it and Roof is, uh, this is his defense, you may have some uprising from Sooner fans just because I know how they can get, uh, about things, but, uh, that's to be, that is to be seen. So. Yeah, if Roof is a tr- is truly the defensive coordinator, this is like a D grade. Right. But if I it agree. is what we I think agree. it is, it's a solid B grade. It makes a lot of sense. And even if it's a temporary thing until Venables gets kind of the head coaching position ready to go mm-hmm. and they find someone to actually come in and be the DC, great. But I, I, if, if his role is what we think it is, I think this is a great move, it's a great hire, and it, it balances out what Venables, who Venables is really well. I think that was a really good point yeah. on your part. All right, so let's move on to Oklahoma State. Uh, same OC, uh, but we got a new defensive coordinator, Derek Mason. He comes in from Auburn after one season, uh, after dealing with the nonsense that is Auburn. Uh, and, and honestly, like, how how bad is it that one of the most sought-after defensive coordinators after he got fired as the head coach at Vanderbilt, he goes to Auburn. He's, this is a guy lots of people want. He's highly sought after. He spends one year at Auburn. And it's such a freaking cluster that he's like, I'm going to go make less money to go be the head coach or the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State in the Big 12. Not a shot at the Big 12, but like nationally, this is how people talked about it. He's taking less money to go to a, a, a an inferior program in Oklahoma State. I don't agree with the word inferior, but that's how it's being mm-hmm. sold. And so taking that mindset, Oklahoma State got themselves a steal. They saw an opportunity, and props to Mike Gundy for going, okay, we've never paid a defensive coordinator or any coordinator a million dollars before. Let's get him 1.1. Let's try and get him in here for a couple of years. I give this an A. Like, I don't know how you don't give this an A grade. Um, if you want me to nitpick it, it's this. It's just a little bit. Um, they're not running Derek Mason's scheme. They're running what is now Oklahoma State's defensive scheme. Uh, which is the scheme that Jim Knowles ran while he was at OSU before he left to take over as defensive coordinator at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Derek Mason will run Oklahoma State's defense. That's what Oklahoma State runs now. Now, that's what OSU does with the offense. They run Mike Gundy's offense, and new coordinators come in, and they they add their little bits here and there. And that has worked to varying degrees. Um, For the most part, it's worked, except for the last few seasons where they've had some issues. But defense... 
look, Derek Mason's smart. He's a very different personality, I think, than, than Jim Knowles was. Um, this is a higher everyone. I, I think everyone, no one's panning it. They're all just kind of shocked by it. I think this is a great hire. And I, and I think if OSU can keep him for two seasons, I, I think it's a a massive win for Mike Gundy. I think it's a fantastic hire. It's, it's an A, and I, and I would give an A+. Plus. And, again, I, I can nitpick it just to say because they're not running his defense, but the guy is, the guy is smart. He was one of the best defensive coordinators when he was at Stanford. We can set aside how he did as a head coach at Vanderbilt. I, Vanderbilt's an incredibly difficult place to win. Yep. Being a good coordinator doesn't mean you're going to be a good head coach. Being a bad head coach doesn't mean you're a bad coordinator. Like Derek Mason knows what he is doing. I have complete and total belief that they will have success at Oklahoma State. Obviously, they lost a lot from last year, especially in line, especially at linebacker and in the defensive backfield. Uh, returned like the entire defensive line, and and they have like eighteen edge rushers who are all ridiculous. <laughs> I I think this is an A plus hire. I I don't think OSU could have done better in replacing Jim Knowles, the mad scientist, than essentially stealing Auburn's defensive coordinator. This is I have two quote unquote home run hires in in this list, and this is one of them in my opinion, I, I think I, I gave it an A plus. Um, I think Oklahoma state went out and got a guy that, that probably shouldn't have even been considered available to them. I mean, he's, he is that he's that good. And I think that it, it's something where for the 1.1 that they were willing, 1.1 million that they were willing to spend for him to take a $400,000 pay cut to come to Stillwater and be the defensive coordinator is outstanding. You couldn't have done any better. I mean, especially when you consider that Chad Weiberg is in his first year as athletic director at, at Oklahoma State, for him to go out and make that hire, I mean, that's just fantastic. I, I don't think things could have gone any better uh, for Pokes, for the Pokes. And I, I really do like uh, how he was able to capitalize on, on the situation that, you know, it, it's, it's Auburn's loss. They're losing a fantastic coordinator, but obviously the situation there was bad enough that he felt like it was, it was, it was good enough to come to, to steal water and take a pay cut and do it. So I, I, there's, there are pieces in place for Oklahoma state to continue the success that had defensively last year. And so I think if Derek Mason is able to come in and, uh, and run Oklahoma state style of defense, uh, this is a home run. I mean, I, I don't think Oklahoma state could have done any better. I'll go ahead and say it now. Like I, I, he doesn't stay more than two years. Uh, no, he, I, I hope he stays two. Like I hope they don't just have him for one year and he, and he leaves for some other opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the, the the talk was like he had a lot of opportunities. He had a lot of because the NFL was sniffing around. And Derek Mason met with Mike Gundy and and liked what Mike Gundy had to say. And they offered him enough money. And I hope he gets two years because I I I get the feeling they know that Mason's here for a couple of seasons, and that the next guy is already on staff. I get the feeling the next guy is on staff um, that will take over from him. Uh, it would be Joe Bob Clements, who they moved from right. defensive line to linebacker uh, so that he can learn to coach the linebacker position, which is typically a spot you see more DCs come from than defensive line. Um, that is that is my guess, is they know Derek Mason is not long for Stillwater. If they can get two years out of him and prepare Joe Bob Clements to take over as DC after that, that is what, if I'm making a prediction right now and putting some money on it, that's my guess. And if I, you get two very successful years from Derek Mason, this is a, it, you're right, like home run, touchdown, 100-yard kickoff return higher. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, I would be shocked if he spends more than two seasons in, in Stillwater. I think that I think there's just too many opportunities, especially if you take into account you have a two-year window in a lot of places in, in college football at this point. You have a two- or three-year window at max. Uh, I mean, Tom Herman was on the cusp of, of, of bringing Texas into four straight bowl seasons, and he still got the hook. So uh, it's – he could end up he could end up at a number of places so I, yes i believe two years is probably the maximum amount of time you're going to keep mason in stillwater i hope mason gets a head coaching job opportunity at a place not like vanderbilt yeah that's, that's, that's... <laughs> all right uh moving on down to fort worth uh sunny dykes bringing in his offensive coordinator garrett riley with him from smu uh, one of the things with dykes was the dykes hire is fine i think it makes sense uh, it's kind of the one we figured would happen. Uh, if he wasn't there, he was probably at Texas Tech. It made more sense to be at TCU because he was already <laughs> literally right there. Um, and, and the idea was that he needed to bring as much of his staff with him that, that he, where he had success at SMU. And one of those I was hoping he would do was Garrett Riley. Uh, yes, Riley, brother of of former Oklahoma head coach, now USC head coach Lincoln Riley. Um, I think this made a lot of sense. Um Again, I hate giving everything an A, but I'm giving this an A grade. It just it made too much sense as a hire. Why would you not bring the guy along with you that where you, you had success at SMU as an offense? His first season in 2020, they ranked 15th in scoring. 2021, they ranked 10th in the country. Um, I think this this I think this hire just makes a lot of sense. I I I could he hasn't been an OC for long. He was an OC for two seasons at SMU. Before that. Couple seasons at Kansas as a quarterback coach, tight end and fullback coach. A season as the running back coach at, at App State. Um, this is just a guy who's kind of climbing the ladder. If if he has success at TCU and the offense at TCU hums the way it did at SMU, it's very likely Garrett Riley is probably a head coach not too long from now. So this hire just made. I mean, it just made too much sense. I'm giving it just a solid A. I don't know that you you would have made any sense to like. Well, let's go get a different, better off it. This just made too much sense as a transition to bring him over from SMU. And I think that with him following Sunny Dykes over, I, I think, like you said, the transition will be seamless, and they can just pick up kind of right where they left off. Obviously, different personnel is gonna is gonna bring a challenge to that. But TCU was still thirty six in total offense last year, so it's not like the cupboard's bare there. They did lose Zach Evans, but he was injured for most of the season. You still have uh, Kendra Miller. You still have Max Duggan returning at quarterback. Uh, I gave this a B plus solely for the fact that I didn't want to give out A's across the board. There's nothing wrong with this hire. I I like. Uh, I'm glad that he that he followed. Uh, you know what is it? Thirty miles <laughs> across the other side of the Dallas Metro. <laughs> so I'm glad that I'm glad that Garrett Riley is there. Um, I, I think TCU. Um, it's going to look a little different on offense going from the spread to the air raid, but I, I do think that the, the style of air raid that, that Dykes brings is, is still going to allow them to, to run the ball efficiently. And, and, and when you have a receiver like Quentin Johnson that they can go to immediately that, you know, proved to be a mismatch um, last season, I think that it, there's pieces there for Riley to be successful right away. And, and I think it's a good hire for TCU. Yeah, I agree. It makes sense. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, new defensive coordinator Joe Gillespie coming in from Tulsa. Um, I didn't love SMU's defense, and so it made sense for them to find somebody different to be defensive coordinator. Look, I'm going to be honest. Again, I hate giving him so many A's out, but I am a big fan of Joseph Gillespie and the job that he did at Tulsa. 
Okay. Two seasons prior to Gillespie taking over, Tulsa defense was ranked 117th in 2017 and 96th in 2018 in S&P+. His first season, they jumped to 51st. 2020, I know it was COVID year. It's hard to take some of those numbers. You kind of take it with a little bit of salt, but they were 23rd according to S&P+. Now, they dipped back to 49th in S&P+, this past season on defense. They lost a lot from that 2020 roster, like, your DB coach went to Missouri. A bunch of DBs left as well, some of your best players. Obviously, you lost Zayvon Collins, who got drafted in the first round of the NFL. Like That defense from 2020 was really, really good. He helped find those players and develop these guys. It's not like Tulsa's landing a bunch of four-stars or even a ton of like high three-star guys. It's it's Tulsa. It's a, it's a high-education school. It's hard to get into, okay? You're not letting... They don't have a lot of easy scholarships, <laughs> right. uh, degrees at Tulsa to get football players in. It's not an easy place to get into. It's a smaller private school. I believe it is the smallest D1 university, in fact. So understand that Gillespie did a heck of a job at find, helping to find and develop some fantastic players at Tulsa while he was there. Now you bring him to TCU, where it's a whole lot easier to find defensive talent. Um, I think this was. I, I think this was a great defensive coordinator hire. I think this was. They needed to find somebody really good. They needed to find somebody kind of a young and up-and-comer. I thought this was a fantastic hire. And obviously, you know, Sunday Dykes played against Tulsa multiple times, and Tulsa uh, beat SMU, I believe, like either two or three straight years in a row. If you got can't beat him, you might as well hire him. Why not? I, I Again, I, Sunday Dykes and, and Joey McGuire, two situations of like, as head coaches, uh, what are you going to do with the coordinators and coaching staffs? I think Sonny Dykes knocked both of these out of the park. I know you gave uh, Riley a B. I gave him an A. I get this one an A. I think this was a great hire. Uh, absolute knock. Just great hire. I have an A minus. Again, that's. I guess it's still an A, but it is an A minus. I I'm from the <laughs> I'm from the Tulsa area, so I have seen I've seen Gillespie uh, coach in in person a few times. The guy, he's a fantastic coach, and I think just for the fact that he's at Tulsa, he's underlooked. Or, overlooked I guess he's underrated and overlooked is, is what I meant to say there um I think this is fantastic I I, I really I really like what he brings to the table as far as as rushing defense Tulsa's rushing defense even with all the turnover that they had and, and losing Zayden Collins and all the pieces that they lost uh, they they still ranked 48th nationally in rushing defense last year which when you consider TCU ranked 122nd nationally in rushing defense last year that's a fantastic upgrade. So uh, the the only team in the country that was, or the only team in the Big Twelve that was worse is Kansas. They were at, they were letting teams rush for 250 yards a game on them. So um, TCU has to fix rushing defense. I think this is a guy that, that does it. And um, the other thing is is that Gillespie's bringing a three three five scheme to uh, to sorry not Tulsa to uh, TCU, which is what John Heacock became famous for at Iowa State. Um, that's, that's something that you, um, something that you don't necessarily see a lot of people run, but the people that are good at running it, i.e. Joseph Gillespie, they are very successful at doing it. I think this is a good hire. I think that TCU can make leaps in the first year (coughs) under Gillespie, um, considering what they had last season after, you know, Gary Patterson being dismissed and all of that. I, I think this is a, this is a good year to to get Gillespie while you can and I think it's a great hire for TCU yeah agreed uh we love EPA around here if you want to go last year EPA the def- total defense EPA uh 48th 
74th against the rush, 35th against the pass. I mean, they face a lot of teams who pass the ball really well in the American. Face some teams who pass pretty well in the Big 12. So, again, I think that was a great hire. All right, I know we got to get you out of here. we got three more to get to. Uh, Texas Tech, the other new head coach in the state of Texas, uh, an offensive coordinator. I think you and I both think this is going to be uh, – let me put it this way. Zach Kately from Western Kentucky. This is the guy I wanted Texas Tech to hire as OC in Matt Wells last season. He brought in Sonny Cumbie. Okay, fine. Joey McGuire said, okay, well, just one season later, he's coming in. We're bringing the former graduate assistant back to Lubbock. Town he knows well as the son of Texas Tech's national championship winning track and field head coach. There's a fun fact for you. Um, I love this. But I have to play devil's advocate a little bit, right? Okay, this is a great hire. He's only coached the FPS level for one season. He had a great success. At Western Kentucky, they were second in scoring in the country at 44.2 points per game. They had been 115th in scoring in the year before he arrived. But he brought most of his players from Houston Baptist, including his starting quarterback and his top wide receiver. I think some offensive linemen as well, if I, offensive linemen as well, if I recall. His season at Western Kentucky was very neat because he basically just brought his offense and a bunch of his players with him, implemented that. It took a little bit of time, but by midseason, that offense was up and humming. Now, Plenty of talent at Texas Tech on the offensive side of the ball. you got a very well-stocked, I think, quarterback room, so he shouldn't have any issues there. I think this is a great hire, period. But if you want to take his one season at Western Kentucky and say, this guy's going to be awesome, there are a few little caveats you have to put in there before you do that. But again, Houston Baptist, his three years there in FCS, uh, the year before they, he showed up, the Cougars were 117th in scoring. 13.6 points per game. His first season, they more than doubled that to 27.4 points per game. 63rd in scoring, and then 14th, and then 13th before he came to Western Kentucky. I think this is a great hire. And this is another one of those like guys who's quickly on the rise. We'll see how long Texas Tech can keep him before he's off at a higher-paying job or as a head coach somewhere. Um, this was this was the hire I wanted Texas Tech to make, so it has to give it an A grade. I remember in 2020, I was, I was watching with all this, all the fans or all the fans gone, the stands were empty and ESPN was televising Houston Baptist versus Texas tech. And (laughs) I look in the fourth quarter and this Texas tech team is down to whoever Houston Baptist was, which, you know, if you follow D one football, you don't know who that is unless you really watched football and Bailey Zappi, which like you, like you brought up who followed uh, Kitley over to Western Kentucky was just lighting Texas tech up. Texas tech ends up winning the football game 35 to 33, but he goes to Western Kentucky and, uh, and they scored 76 offensive touchdowns in 2021. The next closest was Ohio state was 70. So, and Ohio state's offense was as efficient as they come. So yeah, I, I gave this an a plus, I wanted to give this an A plus plus, but I, <laughs> but I couldn't. I, I I just love that Kitley's bringing the air raid back to Lubbock. That, that where where else is it? You know where else is the air raid? You think air raid? You think Texas Tech? You think Mike Leach? That I mean that's that's where it originated, and that's and it just feels right for him to be back in for him to be in in Lubbock. So um, I think Tyler Show can or Tyler Shuck can have an incredible ceiling in this offense i think that he has the intangibles to be fantastic for kitley in year one it's just can they can, can he get it between the ears in one year and one off season can he figure out what kitley wants done um 
at the end of the day, I, I think Kitley and Texas Tech are going to be a good match. Only time will tell, but I'm giving it an A-plus for, for right now because it just feels like the right culture fit. Yeah, even if they don't have, like, just out of the gate insane success, like, this is a this is a perfect hire. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not year one, it'll be year two. Right. That's my feeling. Yep, I agree. Uh, on the other side of the ball, Tim DeRuiter coming over after one season as the uh, D.C. at Oregon. That's Tim DeRuiter, uh, uh, another bit of a journeyman. Uh, been the D.C. at Air Force, Ohio, Navy, Cal for three uh, for four years before taking over at Oregon. He was the head coach at Fresno State for four seasons. Um, I mean, honestly, or five seasons. Forgive me. Uh, honestly, I'm giving this a C. I do think this is a, a fine hire. Um, and I think Reuter, you look at his tracker, look where he's been. He's been a solid defensive coordinator. I just... I don't know. I think it was, it, it makes sense to bring in a guy who's got some head coaching experience. You know, you've got a young o- OC, you've got a first time head coach who I know he was a head coach at high school level. He understands those things, but college is, is a little bit of a different beast. You bring in a, 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 a DC who EPA, they were 53rd defensively at Oregon last season. He's been a, a solid defensive coordinator. I guess it's just kind of like, okay, it's a name. I recognize it. I kind of know who he is. I know some of the things he's done. But it's not a hire that just, as good as the Zach Kitley hire was, it's just not as inspiring. And maybe that's not fair, but I, I'm giving it a C grade because it's it's fine. It's a, And look, if he makes Texas Tech's defense passable, I mean, that's a, that, that would be something Texas Tech would love to have, and that would be a great hire. I, I too, I gave it a C as well. Um, this is one that... I think you nailed it and you can say it in one phrase, this was a fine, this, this hire was fine. It was, you know, it was, it wasn't easy pickings, but with Mario Cristobal gone, that Oregon staff was pretty much just, you could have what you want to take your pick pretty much at that point. I felt like, and, and DeRuiter, they had a lot of injuries, so I have to give Oregon the benefit of the doubt on that end, but they, they were still 75th in scoring defense last season. They did, they did force 22 turnovers, which was, which was 25th in the country, but I, I don't think Tech has the same caliber of athletes that Oregon does yet. I think Joey McGuire is heading that direction, but Oregon has athletes like Calvin Thibodeau at their disposal. And uh, low, the, the their linebacker, their five star linebacker that they had last season was incredible. But those guys were injured most of the year, and so I think that um, DeRuiter is a fine hire. I don't, I'm not crazy about it. I think it's hard to compare that to Kitley because I think that's such a home run hire for Texas Tech. But um, DeRuiter had success at Cal uh, when he got there. They were allowing 42 points a game. They were averaging between 20 and 25 points a game, uh, given up whenever in his three seasons there. So he can do it. It's just one of the, this is, this is exactly what I mean by time will tell. We don't really know what DeRuiter's going to be yet for Texas Tech. Um, so that's why I'm giving it a C. I think a big takeaway from both these hires is I'm trying to temper my expectation. Like I am excited for Texas Tech and mm-hmm. I think it's a very exciting time for Texas Tech, but I don't, I don't think it's necessarily going to show in year one. Right. Um, this may this may be a little cliff year where you're like, okay, the offense is awesome, but they also give up a ton of points and the talent's not all there yet. I think this is a with the recruiting they're doing, give it year two, year three, and we'll find out if this is really going to work or not. 
All right, I know you got to get out of here, so let's get this last one. West Virginia bringing in an OC. Uh, Neil Brown finally handing off the reins for real, not just having an OC in in title, but kind of doing it himself. Um, this kind of reminds me of when Mike Gundy had to do it. I mean, Mike Gundy literally was being the head coach and running the offense, and he said, all right, time to run an offensive coordinator. Bringing in Graham Harrell, who uh, had spent three years at USC, which were fine, 37th in scoring in 2018. Uh, what was it? It was 37th and 31st, and then, uh, you know, dipped to 65th last year. But I don't – man, I have a hard time blaming anyone on the coaching staff last year after – I mean, basically, they, they lost that team. That's because that head coach was on the way out. No one cared. But, look, Seth Luttrell was up for big jobs at North Texas, and it was never because of Seth Luttrell. It's because Graham Harrell was awesome at UNT and turned Mason Fine into a tiny little – quarterback from nowhere Oklahoma that wouldn't cut it anywhere and turn him into a household name that was tons of fun to watch and pay attention to I I'm giving this I want to give it an A I think I'm going to get I'm going to go B plus and it's because I don't like holding what happened at USC against him but he was there for long enough we have enough of a tracker there to say he does have to get some of the blame it's not like they don't have talent there but I have a hard time blaming him. And it's it's not fair to be like, well, he was the reason they were good at UNT, but he wasn't the reason they were bad at USC. Like, it's a little unfair to do that, even though I do feel like that's the reality of the situation. Um, this hire also gets bumped up a little bit because JT Daniels. And I think that's exactly what West Virginia needed was a boost at, one, at quarterback because obviously they don't believe in the guys they have on staff. And that's been the biggest issue for West Virginia the last two years is I had no question about the defense, but I, I didn't, I wasn't going to put West Virginia high anywhere sort of preseason rankings. Cause I didn't trust anything they were going to do at quarterback with Graham Harrell with JT Daniels. I'm I, they've got some issues at West Virginia on the roster just because of how much they've turned over on defense. But this might be the first year I'm not actually worried about West Virginia's offense being respectable. Before I get into this, this isn't a, this is not a detriment to Graham Harrell. I think that he's a fantastic offensive mind, but I feel like with Neil Brown coaching for his job, this was not the right hire. I gave this a D. This is this was my least favorite hire of 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 the ten of the nine, uh, and, and the reason being is. West Virginia ranked 103rd nationally in rushing offense last year. They only ran they, – they, they had Letty Brown, but they only averaged 123 yards a game on the ground. That makes it hard to control the clock, control the narrative. And they, they did have uh, – I believe they ended the season at 23rd or 24th in time of possession, but they're not running a ton of plays every game. And so I felt like what West Virginia needed to do was establish a run because everybody knows – that a quarterback's best friend is a good run game. And Graham Harrell only rushed the ball 401 times last season. They had 401 attempts all season long, which was 112th in the country. That tells me he wants to throw the ball all over the yard. JT Daniels has the arm to do that, but does West Virginia have the offensive line to sit there and pass protection against some of these defensive ends that we're going to deal with? You know, Baylor's probably got – a top three defensive line in the country coming back next season. Um, you have teams like Oklahoma State who are returning, like you said, that you've got guys that get after the quarterback. Oklahoma's going to have a guy that's going to get after the quarterback. Um, TCU, you know, Texas, obviously, 
we don't really know what they're going to end up being, but if they end up getting Oshawa Mathis from TCU, you, you, there's there's a proven pass rusher. So these teams that West Virginia is going to go up against, I feel like they just needed to be able to establish the run a little bit better. And when you consider that West Virginia lost four of its top five pass catchers from last season, I just don't like the idea of an air raid with JT Daniels, whether or not I, I just don't, I, I don't think it's a good fit. All right, Brian, real quick, before we get you out of here, we did have obviously three new head coaching hires. Which one was your favorite? Which one was your least favorite? My favorite was probably, this is probably a Homer pick, but I think the Venables hire was great. Um, for Oklahoma, just seeing the turnout last last week um, in Norman just shows you how hungry the fan base is. I think it's a fantastic hire. Uh, it's it's hard for me to pick my least favorite between Sonny Dykes and uh, uh, I'm drawing McGuire. a blank here, McGuire, Joey McGuire. Yes, I I'm gonna give I'm gonna my least favorite is Dykes only because I think what Joey McGuire is doing at at Texas Tech establishing West Texas. Uh, culture there, like bringing all of these kids in from West Texas and building a, a roster, which right now, you know, they're ranked first in the country in the, for the class of 2023. I don't think they finish, you know, probably top 15, just because, you know, teams like Alabama and Georgia, and they, teams are going to blow them out of the water towards the end. No, of that. But you know what? Props to them and props yes. to them for playing it out. Yes. Yes. Like, you own it. Own it. Yeah. Have it right Have now. fun with it. Yes, absolutely. And they do, they take, they, they're a little, they're just, they know they're a little tongue in cheek about it, but like, we know this isn't going to last, but wow, it <laughs> right. is, it's kind of fun, isn't it? Right. Like, so, and I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, I do like what he's got there. And obviously his ties to the high school game, just being a, a coach there for so long. Um, I, I like the, I like the hire there. So I'm going to go Sonny Dykes with my quote unquote least favorite hire. Yeah. There's not a, I don't think there's a. It's not like previous years where there's a hire where we're all like, uh, there's no Matt Wells or right. Les Miles here. Um, just some guys we don't have as much faith in. Right. Uh, Brian, man, appreciate your time. This has been fantastic. Everybody do yourself a favor. If you're not reading Heartland College Sports, go and do so. Brian is the site manager and editor there. Uh, and uh, go check out the uh, Hecklers and Hot Takes podcast if you're an Oklahoma fan. It's a fun, uh, different take. I think sometimes you guys cover college football and college sports overall, but you're some OU fans, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah, it gets a little hot there sometimes, especially with the host being an Oklahoma State fan. So uh, it's go. fun. We, we have fun. Yeah, it's a good time. You have to go check it out. All right, Brian, again, thank you so much, man, and I uh, hope to have you back on soon. All right, thank you. Podcast Network.